Thank you for tuning in to the audio podcast of Renaissance Church, a new church plant located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please check out our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like more information about joining the launch team of Renaissance, or if you would like information on how you can partner with us to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. So this morning, as we continue through the book of James, I want to start with a, a, a story, um, and it's a very sad story from my life. Um, uh, when I, I don't know how old I was, but I, I saved money, and I bought a Toyota 4Runner, right? It's like an SUV, and it was really cool because it had big tires, and it had a really good sound system, and it had like a sunroof, and like I, I saved money, and I was making payments, and I did it. I was like, okay, I can do it. I wasn't married. I was working. You know, I had money to you know, to spend, I guess. So I bought this 4Runner, and I really liked it. Like as far as vehicles go, I was like, this thing is cool. I liked it. Um, and so Went, owned it for a couple years or whatever, got it paid off and all that stuff. At the, in the meantime, Abby and I started dating. And so, you know, we would, you know, go wherever we were going. We were, we were engaged and we, we had this really cool forerunner, right? Well, I started at random times. I would pull into a parking spot and I would smell gasoline. And I'd be like, man, what is that? And a couple times I would look and there would just be gas like leaking out underneath it. I was like, that can't be good. But I'm not like, I don't know how to fix cars. I don't really know much. And I was like, I don't know. And so I remember I took it to a mechanic and I said, but it only did this at random times. It wasn't all the time. And I took it and I was like, it leaks gas. And he's like, well, he's like, if you can bring it to me when it's happening, I can look at it. He said, otherwise, we need to like pull it apart and figure out what the problem is. And I was like, ah, oh, that sounds like a lot of work. I'm not going to do that. Well, it wasn't too much later. Uh, this happened for about a year, actually, this, that I randomly would smell gasoline, right? Um, wasn't too much later that um, it was right after Christmas, and I remember Abby and I were going to a basketball game. We were driving, and we pull up to a stoplight, and I hear this noise, and it kind of sounded like that, okay? Kind of this... And I was like, what is that? And all of a sudden, there's flames shooting out from underneath the hood of my car. And I was like, Abby, the car is on fire. And so we just, like, pulled out of the intersection and pulled over to this parking lot. I was like, get out, go over there and call the fire department. And so we, uh, and then I'm, like, trying to, like, rescue things out of my car. You know, at the time, my huge, like, CD case of, like, this whole book of CDs, you know. Um, So I'm getting all this stuff. I keep going. I felt like a firefighter. Like, I'm going, and the car is just flaming. And um, luckily, um, fire department came. And they, like, I didn't know if the car was just going to like explode like in the movies, like this massive explosion. So it was a little, little creepy. Um, but finally, we got stuff out. And I'm just standing there watching my, my beloved car just burn, right? And so it was totaled. It was gone. It had to go to the junkyard, whatever. But I knew, here's the point in that story. I knew there was an issue with the car, but I didn't take care of it. I tried. Like I went and like, hey, there's something wrong with the car, but I didn't like go and say, yeah, please take care of this because I don't want my car to catch on fire. I knew there was an issue, but I didn't take care of it. Similar thing, like if you ever, if, for those of you that have had a car or drive, if you ever drive and you're like, hmm, that little check engine light is on. I wonder if it's for real. Like, should I do something about that or not? Um, my check engine light is on in my car right now, and it has been for a while. Um, I did take it to get looked at, and they said it wasn't a big deal. Okay, I don't know. But we can ignore something that we know needs to be done or we know needs to be taking care of it. We're going to see today in the book of James where he says, don't just hear the word of God, obey it. Do something about it. And that's going to be the point this morning. And we know what this feels like in real life, right? Because in your own life, have you ever experienced where you had spiritual talk but no action? 
where you either said like, man, I'm going to do this now, or yes, this is what I need to do. I need to obey God here. And yet as you went through day to day, you're like, I'm not really doing this. And you know it deep in your heart. We all felt that. Or maybe you've experienced it from experiences from someone else. And that's painful for someone to say or, or act like, hey, I'm this wonderful person and I'm going to do these things. And yet in real life, they did not live out their faith. There was hypocrisy there. That's painful because this is what causes us to be, be really hurt in a church experience. When someone is saying one thing, hey, I want to love and follow God, I want to do these things, and yet their actions are not in not the same way. This is hypocrisy. We can be turned off from that. And that's not the way it should be, right? That's not how this following Jesus thing should work. Because what should happen is our faith should change the way that we live. The main point we're going to look at this morning is that faith produces purity and obedience. As we continue this week, we're in the second week of this series called Faith Produces. And you see, like, it's got the big blank there because as we go through the book of James, we're going to see that faith produces multiple things in our lives. Things happen in us because of God's work in us. So we're studying through the New Testament book of James. And we're seeing that faith in God should produce things in our life. It should impact the way that we live the way that we work, the way that we speak, the way that we think and act. The work of God in us should bring about change. Let's read together. We're going to read James chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 19 through 27. So this will be on the screen. If you need a Bible, there are some there, uh, or you can follow along on the screen. So here's what it says. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's unpack that this morning. Let's look together at what this passage is getting at. And so, if you were here last week, last week we saw that James wrote to encourage the believers to stand firm in the midst of persecution in the middle of trials. So we come to this passage and the tone changes a little bit. Um, it's, it almost seems like it's disjointed and separate. And yet what I think is happening is there was potential for the Christians in that time, because of the persecution, there was potential for them to run and hide and to say, I'm done with this. I'm not really going to follow Jesus anymore because if I follow Jesus, if I stand up for my faith, I'm going to be persecuted. So there was a temptation that they would compromise under trial. And so that James is writing this and, and warning them of the urgency for demonstrating their faith that produces good works in their life, for demonstrating a faith that brings about holiness and purity. So the whole section here can be summarized in, the, in verse 22 where it says, but be doers of God's word and not only hearers. So in the middle of persecution and trials, James is writing to challenge believers to not only hear God's word, 
but to put it into action in purity and obedience. Faith produces purity and obedience. Those are our main points this morning. Uh, faith produces purity, faith produces obedience to God's word, and faith produces obedience that leads to action. All right, so let's start off in verse 19. Faith produces purity. You'll see that as we go through this series, James talks a lot about our words and how we speak. So again, verses 19, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Um, and he says, The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And as we look through this, we start off in these verses with some very practical wisdom. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Some really good wisdom here, right? Put this into practice. If you put this into practice in your life, it will go far for you, right? I told a story about my beloved forerunner um, and this same story. When Abby and I were engaged, um, and we've been married for 12 years, and I've learned a lot in that time about listening and, like, closing my mouth and just shutting up when I need to. Um, it's important sometimes, right? You have to learn those things in any kind of close relationship. Be slow to speak, quick to listen, right? Um, there's plenty of times when I'm listening, but I'm not hearing. Anybody, like, know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, I heard what you said, but I not, I didn't process what to do because of it, right? That's, anyone can relate with that. Um, and so, um, I've talked about this before. I'm a baseball fan. I love baseball. And I remember one time with Abby, we were driving somewhere in the same forerunner before it burst into flames. Um, we were driving somewhere, and I was listening to a baseball game on the radio, which I know sounds like the 1940s, but it wasn't. It was not that long ago. Um, and I was listening to this baseball game, and Abby was talking to me, and I could tell from the game there was, like, some cheering happening, and something was happening. And I looked at Abby, and I said, shh. And she didn't like that. It wasn't good. And it was... I mean, I wanted to hear what was happening in the game, but that was not wise. By the grace of God, I'm learning to listen. But this idea of be, be slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, it is practical wisdom. It's this, shut your mouth and learn to listen, right? I know that seems a little harsh, but here's what happens. It opens up communication. It allows communication to actually happen. Because when it, when it says, be quick to hear, it's almost this sense that it carries. It says, hurry up and listen, right? Which means that we can learn in our relationships to anticipate and say, you know what? I value you, and I want to truly listen to you. Imagine the difference it would make if we learned to listen to people. And if we thought before we spoke in actual real-life conversations and on social media, and in all these settings, if we actually thought before we typed stuff or said stuff, it makes a huge difference. So there's a lot of practical wisdom here, but this verse goes deeper. Here's what I want to, to turn it a little bit to talking about faith produces purity. Because it goes on to say that human anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. It means it doesn't bring about the right way of living that God desires. Here's what that means. Our anger... Our human anger is not God's way, right? There is a type of anger that's good and right, like anger at injustice and anger at oppression. When someone cuts you off while driving, it's okay. Actually, not really. That's not appropriate. Either way. But what James is talking about here is selfish anger. Tantrums, right? We have an almost two-year-old who's really good now at throwing tantrums. But if we're really honest, we do it too. 
we get ticked about something and we have a little tantrum and a little pity party and we get angry. This is what James is talking about, this selfish anger that so often is in our lives, trying to get our own way. This is our human nature. This is what the Bible says is our flesh. Living in a way that's not the way that honors God, that's not a way that points to him. And so this passage says, put the, so to put it this way, sorry, I can't read my own notes here. This is our flesh and our self-centeredness. To put it the way that the scripture puts it, it says filthiness and rampant wickedness. Like, that's intense. That's an intense level of like, you've got some issues here. When something is filthy, you want it clean. Rampant wickedness is like, it's like running wild and on its own. And yet, we have to recognize the, the kind of the, the, what can happen in our hearts because of our sinful nature. So it says the anger of man does not bring about the righteous way that God desires. Doesn't bring about God's desire. And here's how I think I would sum this up. You can't function in the flesh and expect godly results. You can't function in me, me, me. I want to do it my own way. Whatever makes me feel good, whatever makes me happy. I'm going to live my life this way and then expect spiritual depth and growth in your life. You can't seek your own way and expect God to bless it. And so when James writes, be slow to speak, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because the anger, our own anger, our selfishness, these things is not, does not bring about what God desires. And so James then says, get rid of those things. Put those things away. Therefore, put away all filthiness. He says, put it away, put to death the flesh. It's a, it's a bit of an odd concept in Scripture, talking about the flesh, and it really is just that contrast between God's way, the right way of living, of honoring God, and our human nature, which the Bible refers to as our flesh. Not necessarily our physical flesh, but our human sinful nature, right? So he says, put that to death, put it away, get rid of that. And then he says this in verse 21, receive the word of God, the truth of God that is planted in your heart. The word of God planted in our hearts is able to save our souls. This word planted in our hearts is Jesus, the Son of God, the righteous one who makes us righteous. It's his work in us that produces purity. Our faith in him produces purity in our lives. So James is saying, put those things away. Your selfishness, your selfish anger, your inability to take time and listen to someone, right? All of us deal with this, right? You're like, he says, that is your flesh. That is your self-centeredness. Centeredness. Put that away. You rather, instead, you need the word of God planted in your hearts. You need the righteousness of God planted in your hearts. And when that happens, it saves your soul. It produces purity in our lives. And then we, if you jump down real quick to verse 27, it says this. He says, it, the very last line says, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Again, we see this idea of purity. That when God works in us, there is a purity that happens in our lives. There is something in us happens where our sin, our selfishness, our pride, our lust, our greed, these things are cleansed. We look more and more like Jesus. Faith produces purity. Because he says in those last verses, he says, true religion, true belief in God, the evidence of a changed heart is to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is purity. 
So faith produces purity. Next, faith produces obedience in two ways. And the first one is this. Faith produces obedience to God's word. Verses 22 through 25, again, this is the central theme of this chapter. It's really, I think, could be called the central theme of this entire book. Don't just hear what God's word says. Put it into practice. Do what it says. Verse 21 says, receive the word of God planted in our hearts. And now we move to verse 22 where James says, James says, don't stop there. Do, don't just hear it. Do what it says. Verse 22, he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It says, don't be hearers only. The context of this, what he probably was talking about here was this idea that when they gathered as a public gathering and they hear someone speaking the word of God, he's saying, don't just stand there and listen to it and then walk away and don't do anything about it. And so I think that matters for us, right? It's not that like myself or Graham or Dylan, whoever preaches up here, it's not that we have like this magical ability, but as we seek to faithfully preach God's word, as we say that, I myself have to put it into practice. And I believe that God is calling people that come into our church to hear what God's word says and put it into action, rather than just a passive, being a passive bystander in, in church. But, so I think the context, though, is when you hear it, but I think it matters in our lives as well. When we read scripture, do we put it into practice, or we just like walk away and forget about it. When we hear a podcast where someone is teaching something about the truth of God, do we put it into practice, or we just ignore it? Are we hearing God's word only, or are we doing it? He says, don't deceive yourselves. We can deceive ourselves by thinking that knowing about God and knowing God are the same thing. That knowing the Bible and obeying the Bible are the same thing. But those are vastly different things, right? That's pretty common knowledge. We know that. If we, we can't just know about God and say that our lives are changed. We must put it into practice. Because our faith should produce in us obedience to God's word. Faith should make us active participants rather than passive bystanders. Be a doer, not just a hearer. Can you say that five times fast. Be a doer, not just, not really, don't do it now. Do it later, right? Um, but we are called to do and not just hear. The passage continues with a really actually simple illustration, right? He says, if you only hear God's word and don't do what it says, it's like you looked at yourself in a mirror and then walked away and forgot what you looked like. Like, to the extent to where, like, if you looked at a picture of yourself in a police lineup, you'd be like, I don't know which one's me, right? That's the point he's making. Like, you are, you, like, we know what we look like. And he's saying if you, he's making this absurd analogy of, like, you look at yourself in a mirror and walk away and then couldn't even, like, pick yourself out of a police lineup, then there's a problem there. Side note about police lineups. I wonder if it's stressful to be in a police lineup if you're actually innocent and the guy, like, just randomly chooses you. Like, I didn't do anything. Like, that's a side note. I think about that sometimes and I watch shows where there's police lineups. Anyways, you can think about that on your own later. But the illustration that James uses is purposefully absurd. We know what we look like. When we look at a group photo, where do we look first? We look at ourselves because we know how to find ourselves. We know what we look like. The point, point here is that it is crazy to hear the truth of God's word and do nothing about it. To let it go in one ear and out the other. James says, don't do that. But rather, he says, when someone looks deeply into the perfect law, this comes from verse 22 and 23, sorry, 25, 
Verse 25, he says, But when someone looks deeply into the perfect law, the beauty of God's truth, the law of liberty, of freedom, the beautiful and perfect truth of God, and does what it says, that person will be blessed. That person will see the work of God in and around his life because his faith has produced obedience to God's word. Faith produces purity and obedience. And the second type of obedience that faith produces is similar. So if faith produces obedience to God's word, the final point is this, that faith produces obedience that leads to action. Faith produces obedience that leads to action. Verses 26 and 27, I'm going to read it again. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. This segment draws a very clear line between real and fake religion or belief systems, between a changed heart or not, really. Some of you maybe have played sports. Some of you have observed sports. Some of you can't stand sports. Either way, we're all pretty aware of the, uh, the concept of trash talk. You guys know what trash talk is? You not know? Right, so if you were going to play basketball or football, I think probably hockey too. Those ones, it really happens in those three where, you know. But if you're, if you're going to play basketball and you're standing there and someone, you're like guarding someone, they've got the ball, and you're just like saying stuff about them, like you're saying like, hey, you're a loser. Or what, yeah, I don't know what you say. I'm not very good at trash talk. I'm too nice, right? Um, but trash talk, trash talk is, is also saying like, hey, you know, look at me. I'm the best. And then you couldn't like make a basket to save your life, right? Trash talk is talking a big game, but having nothing to back it up. This is a picture like this. This idea of trash talk is this picture of a fake and shallow religious living. It's like saying like, hey, I follow Jesus. I love God. And yet in your daily life, you're not doing anything to love and serve people. You're not doing anything that makes your life different. And so it uses this term here of religion. We have a weird idea of religion, I think, because we think of religion, we think of lists of rules and do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. But what, what James is talking about here, the idea of religion, is it carries with it the context for them in their time, the context of the Jewish religion. He's saying, like, hey, if you just want to go back to your safe Jewish life where you did everything you could just to obey the law, but you did not say, I choose Jesus. I'm following Jesus as the Messiah. This is what he's talking about. He's saying religion that is, that, that, um, that is, pure, and unde- religion that is pure and undefiled before God has action to it. So when he talks about religion, that's what he's talking about. A religion that's based on just keeping the law, doing what it says. This is a very different thing from following Jesus. So we look at the words here again. We return again to this concept of our words because the Bible is so practical. We've already heard, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. But he goes again and says, like, if we claim that we are religious and following Jesus and living as a Christian, and yet we can't control our words, then what good is our faith? Has it really changed us? Because he says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue. It's a strange word a bit, bridle. You may or may not know that word, I don't know. But bridle, it's, 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 the, it's something that's used for a horses. Like it's the thing that goes in the horse's mouth so that when you pull one way or the other, it's like, oh yeah, I got to go this way or I got to go this way, right? But it means this idea of like to hold in check. But if we can't hold in check our words, if we don't have... A, a filter on our mouth, right, then there's something 
in us, there's something coming out of us through our words that's not right. And James says this, if we can't keep our words in check, then our religion, our beliefs are worthless, useless, empty, fruitless. Like he uses these terms here. This may seem a bit harsh, but again, if you looked at Luke chapter 6, the Bible tells us in Luke 6 that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we can hear this and we're like, oh goodness, I don't really like this very much, right? I know, because this is our flesh. This is our sinful nature. Our words reveal what's happening in our hearts. And I think when we hear that, it should make us be like, man, it makes me feel a bit uncomfortable because if my words are revealing my heart, then sometimes there's some issues in my heart, right? What comes out of your mouth when you stub your toe in the middle of the night? Well, you know, all kinds of things. For me, it's usually like, who put that there, right? Um, But anyways, often our mouths are much quicker than our brains. Our filter gets broken, right? We all know people that don't have a filter, right? You know those people. Maybe you are that person. I don't know. But the reality is, is our words reveal our hearts. And hearts are only changed by Jesus. We need him to change our hearts. We need him to guard us from a worthless and fake religion where it's just words, where it's just talk, but it's not action. Faith produces obedience that leads to action. So James, the the second part of that, he shifts gears and he says this. He says, a belief system, a religion that's pure and undefiled is a belief system that results in loving and caring for orphans and widows. So he brings this up. He says, um, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Well, why did he specifically name these two groups of people? When you read the Bible, you see this often, care for, caring for orphans and widows. Why those two groups? Because those two groups in that time were particularly vulnerable. In ancient times, they were particularly vulnerable. So if someone's husband had passed away, often that woman did not have many ways to provide for herself, did not have ways to care for herself. In a similar way, if if, if someone became orphaned and lost their parents, there was not like a system necessarily. There wasn't like they were just going to be okay, right? They were very, very vulnerable and often very oppressed. They were often abandoned, left to their own, unable to earn money, unable to do anything. Like often life would just kind of stop. There wasn't anything to do. When you, read the, when you look in the Old Testament, though, God in, among his people always made this a value to care for the orphans and widows, to care for those who are oppressed, to care for them in their affliction, in their distress, in the midst of that difficulty and pain. For us today, this definitely still includes orphans and widows, that as Christians, we should say, how can we actively care for orphans and widows? How can we do that? I believe it's still a high value, but I think we can broaden it a little bit as well, because the heart behind this verse is to care for those who are oppressed, for those who can't or are unable to care for themselves, the vulnerable, the oppressed. And what James is saying here is this, that true religion Real faith will lead to caring for the poor and the vulnerable, for those who can't care for themselves. That faith in Jesus should lead us as a church and as individuals, 
Faith in Jesus should lead us to care for the hurting, for the homeless, for the outsiders, for the addicted, for the poor. I think the church should lead the way in fostering and adopting. These are practical ways to care for orphans and widows. We should visit the lonely. We should care for those who are oppressed for the weak. This is the heartbeat of Jesus. This is the way Jesus lived. He cared for those who were on the outside, who were on the fringes, who often were looked down on, and yet Jesus loved them and cared for them. Are we willing to do this? As a church, are we willing to look beyond ourselves and be like Jesus to the world around us? In your own life, are you willing to get outside of your own bubble and say, how can I care? How can I let my faith be put into action and care for those around me who are vulnerable, who are in need. Faith produces obedience that leads to action. So how do we apply all of this today? Because we want this to matter tomorrow just as much as it matters right now. I think there's probably a lot of different ways to apply this. We can ask ourselves some questions. Are we as a church caring for the hurting people around us? And so I would say this, we need to say, God, help us open our eyes to be aware of how you want to use us. Open our eyes to see the needs around us, to care for the orphans, the widows, the homeless, the oppressed, the vulnerable. How can we do that? Are we willing to say, okay, God, whatever it is. And I would say this as your pastor, when you see those things, when God puts burdens on your hearts of when you were walking around and saying, hey, what can we do to help here? What can we do to serve here? Then bring those things to us and let's say, how can we do this together? I don't see all of it, right? We as the body of Christ, we can say, God, will you use us? How can we impact those around us? Let's open our eyes and ask God to use us. And think about a, think of this in a personal level as well. Are you loving those around you who are hurting, who may be very different from you, are you allowing the faith that's in you to be put into daily practice by actually loving and caring for people? Are we allowing God to work in our hearts so that the way that we speak is different? The book of James, we're going to see in, in some other parts as we keep going, he has a lot to say about our words. A lot of it's going to go back to this, that what comes out of our mouths, there's a connection to our heart. And are we asking God and saying, God, would you work in me so that the things that come out of me, even the reactions that come out of me, that God, you're helping me, you're working in me because I need you. Are we asking God to work in our hearts so that the way we speak is different? Ultimately, I don't know how you need to put all this into practice today. But I would say this as application. I think that you know. I think that you know the things in your life, the places in your life where you have said, I've heard what God said to do but I've never put it into practice. I've heard the word of God, and yet I haven't obeyed. I haven't taken this step of faith to say, God, I trust you in that. I haven't taken a step of faith to say, you know what? God's word tells us to go and make disciples, and yet I have not taken that step to say, I'm going to go and actually share with someone how Jesus has changed my life. I think you know what it is that you need to put into practice. What do you need to act on today? What do you need to act on this week? And I'm actually going to do something. I don't, awfully, don't 
awfully, don't normally, don't often, that's what I was trying to say. I don't often do this, right? But I think I would even challenge you, even like right now as I'm talking, get out a piece of paper or get your phone out and say, and type down, this is the thing that I need to do, or this is the thing that I need to say, God, help me do this. But to take out your phone and to type that down, write that down just for your sake so that you can remember it, but to ask yourself, God, what do I need to obey? And then ask God for the grace to obey that. There may be something that you need, like as soon as you finish church today, you need to say, I need to do that. I need to call someone and ask for their forgiveness. I need to do this. I need, whatever it is, I don't know. But ask God for the grace to obey. So we start to wrap up this morning, which is pastor talk for I've got a little bit more. Right? <laughs> I need Jesus to work in me. I need Jesus to change my heart, to produce in me purity and obedience. Because I promise, just like you, it is not my default nature. I need God working in me. And I need to repent of faith that is just talk, and I, I have to do that often. Say, God, I've known what's right to do, and yet I don't do it. And I, all I can do in those moments is to run to God and say, God, I repent of that. Forgive me because I know it's wrong. Because I think for myself and I think for you, there is a natural frustration in our hearts when we want to do what's right, but we don't do it. If you read the Bible much, you, in Romans chapter 7, Paul says this. He says, what I want to do, I don't do. What I do want to do, I, what I don't want to do, I do. Like, you can read it. It's, it's, it's this idea of it's not there are so many things we want to do what's right, and yet we struggle. And I know what that feels like. Sometimes it feels like when we think about this, when we think about, okay, don't just hear God's word, but put it into practice, that it can feel like this weight that comes on us because we, can't, we feel like we can't keep up sometimes. Read the Bible. Do what it says. Pray. Be nice to people. Serve people. Be in community. Be generous. Have faith. Tell others about, tell others about Jesus. Make sure your words are good. All of these things. And I know what it feels like that there's, we can feel this pressure to do all the things right. But when we say that our faith should produce stuff in our lives, there's good news. The good news is this, is that God is the one who works in our hearts. God is the one who changes our hearts. God is the one who purifies and refines and strips away the stuff that shouldn't be there. God is the one who does that work in us. And so what's our part in that? Our part is that we respond to that in faith. And when that happens, when God is the one shaping us and changing us, and we simply obey, that's when the goodness of God starts to flow out of our lives. Because I promise, if I stood up here and said something along the lines of, you just got to do better. You got to work harder. You got to do more. I don't want that. I don't want any part of that. I don't think any of us do because it's a weight. It's a burden upon us. And yet, if I can stand up here and say, you know what? We're called to do something that we can't do on our own. We're called to follow God and, and live lives that are honoring and glorifying to him. And yet, in the midst of that, God looks at us and says, I love you, and I want you to follow me. 
And God doesn't say, you better live up, you better measure up. God says, Jesus measured up. Jesus has done everything that you can't do. So that when we put our faith in him and we realize that Jesus is the one who has died for our sin. Jesus is the one that lived righteously. And we come to God and say, okay, God, I surrender. I'm yours. Would you work in me and make me more like Jesus? That is good news because it doesn't have to do with how good I am or how bad I am. It's the goodness of Jesus that works in me. The work of God through you is the overflow of the work of God in you. And I'm glad it's not the other way. I'm glad it's not God saying, like, if you want to follow me, then you just need to work hard. No, it's God saying, I'll work in you. But you have to put your faith in me. And you have to say, God, I surrender to you. I'm yours. You do your work in me. But God will work so that the work of God through you is the overflow of the work of God in you. This is good news. It's good news that you were not built to do this in your own strength. You were not built to keep it all perfect and all together. But instead, the good news is that we are made holy by Jesus, not by our own effort. It's only the work of God in our hearts that brings about real change. That Jesus produces the righteousness of God in us. Because what did that verse say earlier? It says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Well, what does? Jesus does. The righteousness of Jesus produces in us the righteousness of God. And that righteousness is simply just saying the way that God calls us to live. It's the work of God in our hearts. It's God who, as we saw in verse 21, he plants that word in our hearts. And it's Jesus that's in our hearts that changes our hearts so that we can follow him. And Jesus is the one who came in, was born of a virgin, and lived a sinless life, was pure and righteous, and obeyed God at every situation. And yet he willingly died on the cross for our sin. He took our place. And when that sinks into our hearts, and we say, you know what, as I go through my week, whether I'm Whatever I'm doing in my life, if I'm saying, God, I need you to work in me so that you'll work through me, God works through that. Instead of saying, like, okay, I've just got to roll my sleeves up and do my best and make it happen, because we'll burn out really fast. But when we can put our daily, moment by moment, saying, Jesus, it's only you, I can't do it, but it's you working in me, that in the midst of that we find refreshing we find strength. We find closeness with Jesus. Because in our weakness, we're seeing God work and we're saying, wow, I couldn't have done that. God, you are so gracious. And so today, you may be here and you may need to say, I need to put my faith in Jesus. I need to surrender my life to him. I am not following Jesus. I have not come to that point in my life where I've said, Jesus, my life belongs to you. And so today, maybe you need to say, I recognize that I'm sinful and broken on my own and I can't change my own life. And maybe you need to say, Jesus, I see that you have given your life on the cross for me and I put my faith in you. I can't earn it. I can't do it on my own. I can't fix my own life. But Jesus, would you forgive my sin? And what happens in that is that our sin is forgiven. Our guilt is removed and we are made right with God. We're brought into the kingdom of God. We are brought into the family of God. And Jesus changes our hearts. And our heart is no longer 
impure, our heart is made pure. And so today, maybe you need to say, I need to put my faith in Jesus. Maybe you just need to pray with someone. Maybe you need to say, I need to take that step of obedience. And maybe you just want to say, hey, will someone pray with me because I know I need to obey this, and it's hard. We want to come alongside you and pray for that. So as we worship, we continue this morning, we're going to have a time as well for um, for communion. And so as, as, as Morgan sings this song, and we prepare our hearts to take communion. So I'll kind of talk about this briefly. So we have over here, we have bread and the juice. And um, if you've been around church much, this is a way that we remember what Jesus has done. If you haven't been around church much, this is really weird, and we get that, right? But we see that this bread is a symbol, a reminder of the fact that Jesus gave his life on a cross for our sin. And this juice is a reminder that Jesus literally spilled his blood for you and I to pay for our sins so that our sin is forgiven. And so when we gather as a church and we take communion, it's, it's a church together saying, we are remembering what Jesus has done, and we're reminding each other and proclaiming to each other, Jesus has forgiven my sin. I think as individuals, it's a way to come and say, I am bringing myself back to the center of who Jesus is, remembering that I'm only good because Jesus has changed my heart. We're going to sing and worship, and then we're going to... Um, during this time, allow God to search your heart. Allow God to like be honest with yourself to say, you know what, is there something in my heart that I need to confess to God? Is Do I need to put my faith in Jesus? Do I need to take a step of obedience? Do I need to forgive someone or ask for forgiveness? Because Scripture tells us not to take communion lightly. Don't just take it and be like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. It matters because it's a time of reminding ourselves we're coming back to this is who Jesus is and what he has done.